Okay, so we're live. Okay, so hey everyone, um, Darren Mulcahy here from Raise the Bar Training Systems, and you're very welcome to Raise the Bar Live, I think is the way we termed it. Okay, so uh, I'm joined here today with um, Stephen Cusack from City Gym Limerick and Sean Crow from Strength Militia Systems in Belfast. How are we going, boys? All good. All good. Sean's man, a few words. <laughs> hey, how's it going? I was with. <laughs> Saves them for the impact. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, lads. Um, so, like we were chatting about uh, just before we press record, there, um, wanted to put together something that um, would help people of the powerlifting population over the next two, three, four weeks, however long it takes to get back to normality. So, regards to their training. So, just some thoughts on what they can be doing um, between now and then. Okay, and the second kind of. Uh, area I wanted to focus on was when we do resume back to normal training, um, recommendations or protocols that you think a lifter should follow. Okay, um, so yeah, we, we'll tackle the first one. And like I said to the lads, anyone on the call, any questions, lads, pop them into the chat, and I'll I'll push them out as we go along. Okay, so we'll try, we'll try and answer the questions live as we go through it. And um, so first, yeah, so first first one is just training right now for people. So the way I kind of I'm looking at it is like, and we have a couple of people in this that's fallen into this bracket. Either you have minimal equipment, okay, or you have so you either minimal equipment or you have the bare essentials. So by the bare essentials, I mean the barbell and maybe 60, 70, 80 kilos, okay, which for someone maybe that squats 200 or 250 kilos or whatever it may be, it's substantially um, less, okay. So. That's the way I'm picking up the last couple of weeks is you have kind of two brackets, those with absolutely nothing and those with a small amount, okay? Um, so, yeah, recommendations. I have a couple of ideas and stuff here, but I'm going to pass it over to one of you guys. Um, Steve, if you'd like to like to start us off, maybe just some just some thoughts, own thoughts on what people could be doing on it. So forth. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I suppose categorizing um, where people are and making demographics is going to be one of the most important things here um, because this isn't a situation that anyone's really dealt with before and essentially sort of what's happened to a lot of people um, the people that we have in mind here um, with sort of limited equipment or compromised that way are essentially dealing with um, a scenario where their exercise selection is severely limited but for most people so if you went into this without any significant injuries, without anything like that. There's still an awful lot of training that you can do. You just have to shift the way that you're sort of thinking and looking um, away, from, away from the norm. So with powerlifting, I suppose, one of the, like the three big things that you have at play that you're training are A, your nervous system, your neural response to training. So getting exposure to heavy weight, that's one of the most important things being able to handle that. The second thing you have is hypertrophy, so muscle growth. And the third thing is like technical proficiency or, you know, um, competency with your big three lifts, which are essentially the sport. So you have the proficiency element. If you have limited equipment, so let's say, yeah, you are limited to a barbell, um, a few plates, you know, nothing significant, nothing over 50, 60% of your 1RM on any lift. You can essentially forget about training your nervous system or a neural response, you're, you're going to detrain in that way. You know, when you go back to training, 
weight is going to feel heavy, that sort of thing is going to occur. But areas which it is very possible to train um, with limited equipment is definitely your muscular hypertrophy. Um, it's, it's very possible to grow um, right now. And that's probably where a lot of people need to be focusing, is just sort of changing their focus away to what is productive with the time that they have in training. Um, so yeah, that's one of the big recommendations you can make is basically just changing your focus away from what you can't do towards what you can, which will be mainly training hypertrophy and working on weak points and using this as an opportunity to do the things you wouldn't normally do in training is something I've definitely been thinking of. So for a lot of people, you know, when you're in your competitive powerlifting seasons or when you're just chasing PBs in the gym, um, we tend not to focus on some of the smaller things that you can sort of get away with. Like a lot of people might necessarily be um, using their core musculature properly. We mightn't have like, you know, really proper bracing. There's some movement patterns that could be tidied up which we don't do because we can focus on other things which will give us more bang for our buck in terms of progress. But now is a time where we could maybe focus on that. Things like mobility, you know, um, like low-grade cardio, which will increase your work capacity. Yeah, that's some brilliant points, Steve. Yeah, they're, okay, I'm definitely going to come back to the hypertrophy one because that's one I was thinking about as well. Um, yeah. I'm just going to pass it over to Sean and we want to come back on those points though because they're really, really good. Okay, Sean, anything you want to add in on top of that? It was uh, fairly in depth there, Stephen. But Very much so. Yeah, just to come up, just I'm I'm of the same opinion. Um, whereas people with very limited equipment, the obviously the thing that comes to mind is the the psychological effect on them. You know, as as athletes, because like you say, they've been as long as they've been powerlifting, they've been you know under the bars like training squat bench deadlift and all the accessories and things like that so to just have that taken away like straight up is going to have like a, a a psychological effect because one thing that i have been thinking about in this process is um what 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 is people's level of thinking are they are they thinking right now that three weeks or however long it will be like three six nine weeks whatever like somewhere along the line they're going to probably be thinking am i losing strength right and the answer to that is probably a little to moderate amounts of strength but like you say when we go when we go back to normality you're going to find the people will want to rush in to get that hypertrophy blocks in and maybe rush into strength but like you were saying about the neurological adaptations you know, the first two, three, four weeks into the gym, should, you know, get into the gym, get under a bar and, and you know, maybe do a couple of doubles and, or a couple of triples at about 60 to 75% of what your max would have been. Maybe you could decrease it by 10%, you know, to take into effect, you know, the whole situation here. And then maybe work into a hypertrophy block. And then obviously it's with the, with the goal of returning to that, you know, powerlifting phase. But for me, like looking around the athletes that I'm working with, the ones that don't have any equipment, the things that they could be working on is the weaknesses. So even if they have dumbbells or a, a plate, they could do a lot of single leg work, like split squats or lunges and, you know, like work in a lot of tempos and even pauses and, you know, like you could do six zero zero 
press-ups, which will hit those muscles that you won't always hit. And especially like the things that you would have neglected when you were in a full powerlifting program, I think that you're going to, you, you have the time. That's the main thing that you have in this current situation is you have time to work on those little muscles that you might have neglected, you know, you know, in everyday life because you're so busy. Yeah, definitely. And one thing as well, which um, sort of a very important point there was um, when you're talking about, say, return to play when we're on the other side of this, whenever that is, you were talking about for the first few weeks training super light, super sub-maximally and yeah, just like um, working in areas that will just sort of get that skill level back up and get you used to lifting again. Um, I, was, I actually had a conversation with, you probably know him, Dara, um, Jack Heavey. He's a four-year sports science student from UL, um, but he has done a lot of research into the area of detraining and breaks some training um, since this has started. And something he was telling me, which was quite surprising, um, was basically every study he looked into around detraining. And some of this won't be necessarily applicable to... Um, people who are training hard and like identify as athletes because you can't recruit them into studies because nobody who's getting ready for a competition wants to be forced to take a break from training for a month to have it researched. But in a lot of detraining studies, they found that for about three to four weeks, there is no loss of strength um, at all when people go into full detraining. And that means no hard exercise at all. And so you got to think of, so a lot of people have lost the gym right now and they've lost full access to equipment, but there's so many different levels between not having access to a full, um, fully set up um, gym and full detraining. There's so many levels in between of work you can do to mitigate that effect. And even there, it was founded with about three, in most studies found about three to four weeks of um, full detraining sees no loss of strength at all. So that's, even if you haven't trained up to up to now, if you've just hit fuck it and you haven't done anything, you're still, you still probably haven't lost any strength since lockdown started. What you've lost is your work capacity, maybe a bit of like that tolerance to training because, you know, if you've taken a month off and you go back in and you try to train hard, it's going to, like, it's going to beat your ass. Like, it's, it's going to be hard. But if you just train sub-maximally, you train light, you start at a moderate level, it's going to be quite easy to get back to where you were. Um, and yeah, there is a lot of things that you can work on in the meantime. Um, but you just have to change maybe what you see as your short-term goals away from chasing strength right now into sort of more of a delayed gratification mindset or a model of training where you got to acknowledge that the training that we do right now, while it will be very useful, you probably will not see any um, definitive reward for it. And I can't tell you how much strength you or muscle you can build through just doing single leg work and, body weight, upper body work and doing, you know, and conditioning work, how much fitter that's going to make you. But we know that it will, and we know that it is useful trading. So doing it right now will essentially set you up better for coming back to the other side of it. Um, so even shifting for some people with really limited equipment. And the other thing is, yeah, is athlete psychology and your mindset because it can, you know, the gym means a lot to people. So having that taken away, can make it very difficult to train, even even though people know that it is beneficial. Um, you know, the social aspect's gone. It's it's just it's hard. Um, but yeah, every every bit of work you do right now basically mean means you will regress less than if you hadn't done it. If you do no work at all, you're 
like resigning yourself to regressing fully at like a natural rate of what will happen if you stop. But anything you do above that um, delays that process and sets you back further towards um, making progress again. That's brilliant. Brilliant from two of you lads. Um, that detraining idea, Steve, is very interesting. Like, I know myself, if I was to take three, four weeks off, even if I take a week off, I think it's mental more than anything else, but you feel like you're getting weaker. You know, and I think, yeah. I think that's that's common. That's a commonplace kind of um, you know, thought process among powerlifters that we take any bit of time away from, from the bar that we're, we're regressing at a rate of knots. But as you were saying, I actually looked up a, a couple of detraining studies myself to kind of up to speed with it. And it was the same thing. It was the rate at which they're progressing was not what, what we were really expecting at all. Um, so my, my, my thinking on it is like a lot of this could be a lot more psychological than we think. Um, yeah, and just to, just to bring us back to the hypertrophy idea, because I think that's really good, right? Um, and whether it be hypertrophy, I think it's, it's worth putting in that even if someone is a couple of kilos above that weight class, even this time might act as maybe like a weight loss kind of stage for them as well, okay? Like hypertrophy, weight loss, like we, we could put the two of them together and just call them body composition, okay? So like you said, it's taken the focus from um, my one rep max and the squat, the bench, the deadlift. And now putting on body composition for three or four weeks, and it's just it's just shifting the focus. That's all. And I think it's it's a case of damage control with some people. Okay, if 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 you if you're a 300 kilo deadlifter and you've only access to 60 kilos, okay, let's be realistic. Doing single leg RDLs mightn't hold on to your 300 kilo deadlift, but it might just push it out only by a week or two, as opposed to if you do nothing, it might push it out for for five or six weeks. So it's is trying to control the damage that um, the lack of access to our normal equipment is going to have on us. I think that's that's what we like. Just chatting to a couple of our our powerlifters down here. That's what I'm trying to get across. And, you know, I was chatting to Gina on it as well. Like it's just it's just trying to limit the amount we regress over the you know oh, first like, first two or three weeks, and probably could be another two or three or four weeks, and um, whatever it may be. I think that yeah. an awful lot can be done if you have a barbell, 40, 50, 60 kilos, whatever it may be. I think you can do an awful lot. Um, I don't think, I don't, you don't think it matters of what strength you are. You can still do an awful lot. You can do, uh, there's plenty of ways. We, we want to chat on how we, can, how we can change it up and how we can make it challenging. But um, for me, one, one big re way I think we can, anyone can make a training a little bit diff more difficult is, is just increasing that range of motion, okay? Or increasing that time under tension like you were talking about, Steve. Um, like specifically, if you are working on a, a hypertrophy goal, okay? But if you're taking, let's say, someone who normally does, we'll just say 60 kilos for 10 reps, and now you make that range of motion, however you elevate the heels, or you do one and a half reps, however, what way you want to approach it, um, you, you straight away make that movement far more difficult, okay? And that's just going with the same weight, okay? That's not adding any more weight, it's just taking it, which is increasing that range of motion. Yeah. And yeah. I think Sean, if you mentioned tempos, you you you're, you're a fan of tempos, aren't you? Yeah, I just you know the biggest thing for me with tempos is you know just the time under tension, and what what the goal with the time under tension is is to create a bigger muscle. So a bigger muscle has the potential to be a stronger one. So I mean, my favorite type of tempos would be like six zero zeros, and then you could you can even. Put a pause in with the tempo. So if you're 
if if you're if you just have like a kettlebell with goblet squats, you could go with a five second tempo and then a three second at the bottom, and then work on the force output through the concentric phase, which is coming up. So <clears throat> if you think about having a barbell on your back, so obviously you can't have it now if you only have a kettlebell, but what you can work on is the force that you're outputting on the concentric phase because that will cross over really well. So if, if I only had access to a kettlebell and I was doing a tempo, I would definitely be incorporating, you know, maybe a, a, a three to six second tempo down and then maybe a bit of a pause at the bottom, ask the grass, you know, just to, because the knee extensors, the quads, so you want to you have them at the greatest range of motion, which is at, at the ask the grass phase. And a lot of the time we don't get the opportunity to train at that range. So you have to have super late loads with a Frankenstein front squat or a, a goblet squat. And you're, and you're just reinforcing, you know, a greater rate, a greater range in the quads. And then what you can do from there is, is really drive into the quads and work on the force output. Something that you can't always work on in, you know, in the normal part of the program. But aside from that, if you, if you had limited equipment, you could definitely be working on your work capacity by incorporating stuff like complexes. So if you only had a barbell, you could have a row movement in there, a squat movement in there, a pressing movement in there, and you could probably have a hinge in there as well. So if you work up to five rounds, five, five reps of each exercise by five rounds, you, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll build the work capacity really fast and uh, you'll, you'll build, you'll, you'll build the hypertrophy as well in the muscle. Yeah. And um, like tempo, tempo work definitely is very useful in terms of increasing the time under tension, um, increasing sort of, um, and it gives you a really good chance, as you're saying, to enforce cues and to enforce positioning, which can um, help with um, increasing hypertrophy. Um, and yeah, just one thing that probably, say with tempo work, um, a caveat I'd like to add or even just get your thoughts on. Um, for people to say, because I use a lot of tempo work, it's in regular programming, it's probably the, the main um, exercise I will use. It's super specific and it allows us to really work on our competition lifts. But um, for people with really limited equipment right now, um, one thing that I've found or uh, at least thought about is um, they may not be able to get sufficient mechanical tension um, in their muscles with tempo work if the load is too light. Um, if we're working in like our traditional ranges, um, tra traditional sort of set and rep ranges. Because um, yeah, let's say if someone has access to only a small kettlebell that isn't enough to um, sort of push them anywhere near difficulty, at say six, eight, 10, 12 reps, um, where we'd normally have them. If we just increase the tempo on it, while we make the lift more difficult, um, it doesn't necessarily increase the actual damage to the muscle itself. Um, so something that could be quite useful for people is just increasing the rep ranges away from where we'd normally have them. Um, sort of a, like proximity to failure or like basically how difficult an exercise is or how many reps in reserve we have is going to be one of the primary um, sort of indicator, like um, indicators of a hypertrophy or one of the primary things that will allow us to grow. Um, there isn't a huge difference in hypertrophy between like if you were to push something close to max at eight reps as if you were to push it close to max at 25 reps or 30 reps. In terms of actual muscle hypertrophy, there isn't a massive difference at all. 
the reason why we as powerlifters stick to the lower end of the rep ranges is because of that neural training that we're talking about. We're trying to train our nervous system and train technique with heavy weights because our goal is a one rep maximum competition. So getting hypertrophy with 25 reps makes no sense to us normally when we can get the same hypertrophy with eight reps and improve our technique or with four reps. But right now, for people with limited equipment, training into that higher range will allow them to train one of the things that we're looking for, which is muscle hypertrophy. Um, it'll give us an opportunity to do that if we have limited equipment, even for people with just um, body weight, even people doing body weight training right now, if that's all you have. If you can increase the difficulty, yeah, if you can increase the range of motion, if you can increase the tempo to an extent where you're able to get near failure at a very high rep range, anywhere 20 plus reps, you're still going to be in a position where you put yourself um, you'll still put yourself in a position where you can grow muscle. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. That's really good. That's really, really good. And I think it's, it's important to note, like if hypertrophy is the aim for someone, they do want to come near that almost fatigue zone. Okay. Like you, yeah. if you're doing eight reps and you can do probably 15 or 20, you need to start changing one of the variables. So you need to change, like Steve said, the tempo, you increase the range of motion, increase the amount of reps, increase the amount of sets just something to increase the difficulty basically, okay? So yeah. hypertrophy is, is, is the aim. Um, one of the things we do need to work towards is that muscle fatigue, okay? I could be wrong, but I think it's, it's within three reps in reserve. It's, it's around about there, hypertrophy starts to kick in. We wanna be hitting around there. Yeah. Um, so if you're, if you're leaving a set of whatever kettlebell squats with 10 or 12 reps in the tank, um, you probably need to change, the sim change, change one or two aspects of it at least, okay? Um, yeah, and just pick a what, yeah, one, Steve. I'm sorry, I yeah, just one thing I want to add on that is um, just sort of dogma over exercise selection. If you're in a position where you're picking exercises based off of um, your equipment and it's limited right now, you may have to change towards exercise that you wouldn't do in normal training. Like, as you're saying, if you're if you have a kettlebell and you're doing like um, front goblet squats with it, and um, yeah, you're sort of ending 10, 15 reps away from failure. It's probably not going to do a whole pile of good to you. So changing to a less specific exercise, training in a different plane of motion, whether it's um, single leg work, whether it's switching to like side lunges, whether it's switching to a different exercise entirely that can get you closer to that, um, closer to failure is probably going to give you more bang for your buck right now. Yeah. And then another thing just to add on to that as well is say you, you, you have a plate let's say you have limited equipment so say we'll have a plate so if we put a plate on top of your back for a press-up and you're going through the press-up not only overloading the triceps but you're also getting a great hit off the on the core and it's one of the most underutilized elements of of powerlifting is you know an efficient core and i think that's something that we can you know we can really take away from periods I guess is is like working on things like your core I mean you, you've seen it a million times um, inefficiency in the core leads to breakdown and you know a lot of people just don't know how to train it so things like if you have a band you could do like pal off presses and you know like an, an RKC variation of the plank but I think that you know even if you look at even if you if you look at your old training videos for for people who you know not don't necessarily have a coach but if 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 you have like knee cave or stuff like that it's it's there this is the perfect time to be 
working on that type of stuff using sort of mini bands because if you've any type of knee cave at all it's it's probably coming from your glutes so this is a good time to work on like like floor slides you know hamstring curve floor slides um things like clams on the on the glutes and just yeah. sort of walks i mean you know this is because when we go to when we go to physio right and he gives us these sort of exercises to do and then you're like you're trying to fit them into your training regime and sometimes it's not you know time sometimes doesn't allow us to do that so now we have all the time in the world to be working on those sort of small weaknesses yeah and i think when we when we're given that prehab stuff whether it be from a physio or a physical therapist or whatever it may be let me just be your own coach um we we kind of overlook that a small bit um because we are so uh narrow focused our tent is very much on squat bench deadlift one rm or that specific training and i think going through periods where you're very focused like that is brilliant okay like into a lead up to a competition that that focus is kind of expected but i think having periods throughout your your training year where your focus is a bit broader okay so maybe you're not that you're, you're all your heart isn't in it but it's just you're, you're looking at different things so for example this this time we might look at some hypertrophy okay or you know we might look at some some low level cardio or whatever it may be I think it's just, it's, it's a mindset shift from going from extremely intent on being the best powerlifter I can be to being, now I'm going to branch out a small bit and I'm going to get better at a couple of things. And this is the perfect time for it. And I think, I think that, I think we, we, we summed it up pretty well that if you have a bit of equipment, you can get an awful lot done. Um, you're not as limited as you think. It just might mean that, okay, you can't do your traditional squat bench deadlift in the set rep ranges that you that you generally do you might just have to change that around ever so slightly and it probably won't be that much of a change and as the lad said working on working on your weaknesses because every single person has something bilaterally and um, they can improve on or some you know issue with our like core deficiency of some sort everyone has something a small bit of an imbalance from left to right i think it's only it's only human to have that but use this time to maybe to work on that and Maybe just, we might just touch very shortly on um, just if somebody has no equipment, okay? And for whatever reason, they have no access to nine. And I think the way I look at it, again, is if, if you're just a beginner to powerlifting, there's still an awful lot you can get done with just your body weight. Um, if you're in that top percent in the, in the country, being honest, you probably have equipment at home and this probably won't apply to you. Um, but definitely, if you're in that that you know beginner to intermediate range, there's a lot of stuff you can get just done, get done with just your body weight. Um, like for, like for example, yeah, yeah, yeah. even myself throughout my training plan, I I regularly put this into um, the people I coach is, is Nordic curls. I think they're a fantastic movement, and uh, they take an awful lot of, of uh, movement patterns that I'd be looking for. Um, so again, and Steve would have would have taught me this this idea of you know, getting a good position with our pelvis and our rib cage and I think the Nordic um, and eccentric Nordic really works on that and really gives yeah, us a chance yeah. to load our hamstrings and uh, and our hips um, is that something you've, you've what's your what's your go-to body weight ones lads? so it depends on the person really um, with in terms of actual exercise selection um, yeah for most people who are 
who are limited to body weight equipment right now, it's it's safe to say like um or like it's reasonably common that they wouldn't have been powerlifting for too long to be in a position where they had got any equipment for this lockdown with them, right? Which is actually a huge positive for them right now in that respect because it was exercise that they can train quite hard. Um, for a lot of people who are beginning, a strict push-up or just variations of push-ups are going to give you a huge training effect right now. In fact, for a lot of people right now, a strict bodyweight push-up is probably going to be harder for them than training bench um, for the same sets and reps. Um, Chin-ups, I mean, push-ups, um, you don't get like a, the technique sort of component that you get out of barbell bench. It's, it's not 100% transferable that way, but in terms of muscle growth and muscle activation, more or less identical. Same muscles work, it's a horizontal press. Um, so push-ups are something I have basically everyone doing right now. Um, so like in terms of, and where I'm Ordo Salan, you, like, um, you literally just asked about bench press. One of the first exercises that I would recommend to everyone to do um, in general is push-ups. Even for people who are, even when we were training normally um, for beginners and basically for all the girls I coach, because for girls it's much harder to get upper body hypertrophy um, having a bodyweight movement that you can push for so much volume, I've always found to be really useful. So just getting better at push-ups is a big one. Um, inverted rows are a good exercise. Single leg lower body work, um, whether it's, you know, your split squats, single leg RDLs, side lunges um, are all good exercise to pick from, which will give you growth in those, um, in the main muscles we use, the primary movers for powerlifting. And then outside of that, you know, yeah, your core exercises, as, as um, Sean was saying, you know, Pallet press, you have Copenhagen planks, these sort of things will all give you a lot out of body weight work. Yeah. And then to add on to that about your comment about the press ups. So when you look at when you look at the bench and where it breaks down, if it breaks down from the chest, if the if it breaks down from sort of the chest to mid-range, you're sort of looking at you've got a weak front delts and a weak weak pecs. But beyond that, it's always triceps. So what I like to do with press-ups, especially in the, the, current, the current crisis, is change the ranges. So like you could do it on your knees or on your toes, whatever, but come closer, like a closer grip. So you're, you're doing the press-up, but you're, you're smashing the tricep and you're almost overloading it, you know, because the closer your grip on the press-up, the more taxed your triceps become. And, you know, that will cross over really well down the lane. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good point. And I, I think even to add in, it just while we're on the bench press, it's probably like, if you have a kettlebell and a band, there's a lot you can do. Um, even just simple frontal raises and single arm presses, all that kind of stuff, that all adds up. Because in, in, a, in a lot of powerlifting programs, um, for beginners and intermediates, as I said, there's, there, there is bilateral work in you know in it probably two or three sessions a week for most people um, so to be doing it now and getting have that be your focus is probably a good approach I know it might sound a little bit silly but if we think a bench press is probably the most technical of all of all the three movements okay and I think even even people who are powerlifting years are still working on different technical aspects and I don't there's anything wrong with you know setting yourself up and even working on getting a good high chest position um, working on squeezing up those hips because that's that's the, that's stuff that you would be working on, you know, even if you're three and four and five years powerlifting. So if you're only powerlifting a year or six months or whatever it may be, bench press is probably the one you can do with probably out anything. It may be a broomstick, 
but you can work on aspects of, of technicality of getting a real good tight arch and getting the feet in a good position. And all you're left to do is just put the bar on your hands. Yeah. yeah. And just a slight tangent from that, um, just different direction for people who are new to training. Uh, it's become more, I think it's because of social, it's probably because of social media and powerlifting is just becoming more, um, more available and more embedded in like Irish culture. But um, a lot of people are getting into powerlifting straight off the bat now in training. So a lot of our, a lot of like beginner powerlifters are actually just beginners to strength training or they haven't been strength training that long. Whereas before, because powerlifting had sort of um, hit a lull in Ireland um, and it, it's only recently emerged in the last like four, five, six years again, um, 20 notoriety, a lot of people, a lot of the best powerlifters you see in Ireland right now had five, six, seven years in the gym just training before they ever heard of a powerlifter beat. So a lot of people who've begun powerlifting recently have sort of skipped the stages that you see, that you didn't see um, from a lot of the top lifters around the world which is just getting very strong very broadly strong and particularly right now as like training um, methodologies have improved and like just like the structure of programming and things have changed towards higher specificity outside of like your squat bench and deadlift most people aren't very strong at any other movements um, a lot of people like a lot of people just aren't They're, we're so hyper specific with squats bench and deadlifts that we're incredibly good at those but like I know people, I know people who can deadlift two and a half to three times body weight who struggle with a set of five chin-ups. Yeah. You know, there are areas that you can definitely work on um, in terms of like building a base right now, which will actually have a lot of carryover down the line, like um, training with body weight um, and working on those areas that you may be sort of um, training that level that you've maybe skipped um, as you sort of went, as people go straight into powerlifting can be very useful. Yeah. And then... Just, just off that point, it's like you can, you can be training movements that you're notoriously weak for, like female, female powerlifters in Ireland, especially the ones that I would know, they would have so they could have maybe you know up to an eighty kilo bench press, but they would struggle the overhead press forty kilos, you know. So this is a good time to really work on those weaker, weaker movements. Um, you know, and it, it carries over well into into the into powerlifts. So if you're if you if your overhead press goes up, you can be be as assured that your bench press potentially will go up as well. But another thing that I was thinking of, and you know, it comes into the the psychological aspect of of what we're talking about is we're talking what if people don't have the equipment, but what if people do have it? And they just don't have anybody. So I was listening to a podcast recently with Joey Flex, and he was on, he was on the Kingulus podcast, and he was talking about Jonathan Keiko, who was due to go to a world championship, but he, he has no equipment. But even if he did, how how is he going to self record two hundred and forty kilos? You know, it has a psychological effect. He he's been working so hard to get get to that championship, and then it was just taken away from him. So. There's a psychological effect, you know, as we go up the ladder yeah. into the higher levels with people. I mean, like people are so like powerlifters on the whole are, you know, they're structured. I mean, if you look at the USAPL, they'll have their raw nationals in October, Arnold's in March, and then words in, in June, right? 
but now they're going to now they're going to make worlds in September, and then expect them to go a week later and do raw nationals because the rule is that if you don't do raw nationals, then you don't go to worlds. So like, there's a psychological challenge for people across the spectrum, not just people with limited equipment, but also the people who may have the equipment but have to change their whole calendar year. Yeah, and even outside of that, I find like I like I am very social when I train. Um, so it's just the community in Stidigym has sort of lent to me being social. You know, like I like training with a group of people, um, and that's one of the things I've struggled with because I'm like I'm in a position I'm very lucky where I have a full setup at home. You know, I have a power bear, I have more plates than I need. Um, you know, I have dumbbells, I have I have everything really, but. I do find it quite hard to bring that same intensity to training, you know, um, without, without people around me and yeah, without the competition calendar being set, you know, I wouldn't have had any major competitions coming up, but even without knowing, um, you know, what regional cup I'm going to sign up for, what I'm going to do, whereas the end goal, it's, it can be hard to train, um, in that respect. So coming to terms with that is probably, um, going to be difficult for a lot of people as well. Yeah, that's, that's a fantastic point. So I actually made a note of that. It was, it was earlier on and it was, it was on the idea of like powerlifting is becoming very much a team sport now, I think. Okay, I think a couple of years ago you had individuals, but now it's very much a collective group and like City Gym and Strength Militia and Abs and Dublin and they're, they tribe and this, this, the club is built on this, this team motto, you know, this team ethos. And I even noticed that you know, with our own group down in Tremor there, like we were starting to get some real good team sessions and it's so it's so much more enjoyable. And to have that cut, um, you know, all of a sudden, without kind of warning, it does, it's definitely going to play a massive psychological, uh, like a psychological, psychological, you know, like a negative, I suppose, really. But like, it's, it's how can we handle it? And I think if, if you're a lifter right now and you're kind of like, you know, your your routine is a bit thrown out of, thrown out of, out of kilt a small bit, no, just just stepping back and just asking yourself why you got into it in the first place, you know, and and start from there and work forward because you'll probably find that you're more intrinsically motivated than you than you realize, and that all leads back to the team as well. But um, but once you kind of nail down why you're lifting in the first place, I think it'll make that you know, it'll make the separation from your team. It's it's only a short separation, and we are going to come back to normality. But I, I do think it's. Especially on, on, on like a place like City Gym, where like it's the atmosphere is electric inside there, and to go from that to to, to lifting at home must be must be difficult, like you know. And you, there's tons of you know examples like that. See, I presume. Yeah, like um, it can just be difficult. But then I suppose that's one area that we're lucky in right now is that this happened in a time where we have social media. You know, we're able to do things like arrange this call to talk to talk through these things. Um, and I think that's something that people probably have to lean on even more right now because social media can be quite consuming and can be quite detrimental in a lot of ways, you know, in terms of comparing yourself to people and the pressures that come with it. But as a support network right now, it will be very useful for a lot of people, you know, even just in terms of that motivation you'd normally get in the gym from training alongside other people or whether it's the person you aspire to be or whether it's someone that, you know, you just like training with or whichever. Um, that's probably going to come from um, a more remote setting now and maybe adjusting to that's going to be a big thing. Yeah, I agree. Um, the whole social aspect of, of social, the, 
the social aspect of social media, like like you say, with the, even with this call, but you know, it's 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 grabbing a few people within your community and like organizing something like a quiz, like something that we've done in the last few weeks, and you know, it's just keeping the banter and the crack flowing, you know, as it would be in the gym, but it's just in a different setting. So, you know, there, there's ways to, there's, you know, if you look at the negative of the situation and follow news and, and all this here, like it, it's going to have a negative impact on you. I mean, you have to take the good out of the situation. And that's always been my, that's always been something that I've, live by like every situation has good and bad and if you focus too much on one if you focus too much on the negative side of it then you're always going to come out worse but if you try and see the good in it so the good in it is maybe like making a goal that you're going to read a book or you're going to improve on like a certain exercise or so it doesn't even have to be anything to do with training it could be you know you're so busy in life that you you prep you prep your food, you know, three days in advance, but but now you have the time to actually take time and cook a meal. That could be something and then after this is over, like make it a goal to do that once a week. So I think that the whole social aspect of you know the situation, you if you look at it from like the positive, then there's always gonna be a good outcome. That's, that makes a lot of sense, Sean. It is, it is a mindset approach. And I think it is what you were saying, like there's positives and negatives to everything. It's just a matter of what, what way you're going to look at it, you know. And yeah, I think the, the winner, you know, people will have to, they, they will eventually push towards that more positive mindset because we're probably looking at a couple more weeks of it, you know. Um, just want to sh- just change gears here ever so slightly. Like, but, but that's really, really good. Like for someone... For someone between now and the end of, um, just going to call it normality, okay, when we get back to normal, there is just something possible there for all of us. Um, you know, so the for me, there's plenty there. So if you if you have a tiny bit of equipment at home, um, there's loads you can be doing. If you have absolutely nothing and you're a beginner, um, there is there is plenty you can be doing as well. Okay, if you have nothing and you're, you know, you're in the top percent, um. You're probably going to have to invest somewhere, or it's just take the hit, and your your gains are going to be a little bit slower coming back. Okay, so what we might look at now is returning to training. Okay, so we're back in our in our team environment, our team sessions, whenever that may be. Okay, um, what are we looking out for as as powerlifters? What are the kind of the red flags we want to be? Because if we think of it from a literal point of view, you've gone from gone five or six weeks without socializing with your friends underneath a barbell maybe um you're going to be they're going to be really excited to get back training so what happens if we don't control that excitement um to you know structurally or, or programming properly so some of the pitfalls you might look out for any any thoughts yeah i think that you, you should avoid running back and thinking that you know just cramming in cramming in hypertrophy is going to be the answer because it it's not and chances are if you if 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 you run before you can walk you're going to pick up like an adductor strain say if you're squatting over seven eight reps i mean if you you think about it if you go back and 
went straight into like 70, 80% work for eight reps. The dogs you're going to get off that first session is going to last you like a week, 10 days. You know, so to take a different spin on it, what, what I would be advising is coming in and just going through competitions, competition movements and just looking at like doubles, triples for a couple of sets. I mean, take the time to enjoy the training again because if you if you run if you run in and start doing something that you just left before everything shut down, you're gonna get yourself you're gonna you're gonna run into either one an injury or two a strain that you're gonna be carrying for more than likely the rest of the year. Yeah, like over eagerness is probably the one thing to avoid because um nobody sets out to hurt themselves when they go to train well not, most people don't set out to hurt themselves when they train um but like the worst thing you could do when all of this is over is go back in yeah train too hard and injure yourself because all you've done now is delayed a period of time you can't train properly for it. so while you might not like it taking a few steps back like sean was saying um working where you are one of the first things that happens when you sort of start training and when you return to training is you get that neurological response your nervous system starts training up again um so looking for that yeah training sort of low reps training anywhere over sort of 60 70 percent for the first few weeks um on the lower volume side in those movements is going to help and one thing that the biggest factor i think that will decide what you do when you go back is what you do before you go back um and you have to be honest about that because if you train really hard right now and you're in a position to, and it isn't a good or a bad thing whether you do or not because this whole situation sucks and there's things going on outside of powerlifting right now. Um, so if, but if you're in a position where you're able to train hard physically and mentally, um, you're going to be in a position where you can probably return to play a bit faster on the other side than if you don't do anything at all. And if you don't do anything at all, one of the most important things to acknowledge is the fact that you didn't do anything. And that rushing back too fast is going to be detrimental to you. It's not going to help make up for lost time. Any lost time now or any efforts you don't put in, they're, they're lost. You have to cut your losses on them. Um, and you work from where you are. When you return to play, yeah, you have to acknowledge sort of what's happening. Um, a broad rule of thumb that I have been using recently, which has been quite effective um, for people returning from injury, because for a lot of people with limited equipment whose training is effective, um, a lot of the same, there's a lot of parallels to someone who's injured right now in terms of, you know, work capacity is going to drop down, the exercises you can pick are compromised. Um, so the actual return to play will be similar to coming back from an injury. Um, and a broad rule of thumb that's been useful is however long you take off from training, it'll probably take you about half that period of time to get back to full work capacity. So if this goes on two, three, four months, you might want to spend a training block or two trying to get back to where you were in terms of your workload. And before you really start pushing yourself again, because rushing back too fast will set you back longer um, in the long run. You'll lose more training over it. Um, you won't see it straight away, but once you hurt yourself or if training starts coming backwards, um, you're just losing time. Yeah. That's, that's you know, I think accepting your body will take a bit of time to get back to what, where it was is, is, is really important. Like what you were saying, Steve, um, we, we did make the point that detraining isn't going to be as, as sharp as what people think, and it's more in relation just to their overall strength, but their technical proficiency and their neural efficiency is going to drop off, and that is kind of worth mentioning. Um, so if you have a person who can squat, but just say 200 kilos, 
they take six weeks and they haven't done anything over 70%, their estimated one rep max is probably going to come down a tiny bit just, just for a, a short period of time until we get a bit more technical coefficient and um, that more visually comes back up to speed. And it's just, it's, it's not that you've gotten weaker, it's just that we need to get those two other areas back up to, back up to where they were. Um, yeah, because for a lot of people, when you go back into training, you'll probably be really surprised at how much strength you've retained. Like if you were to max out, you'd probably be way closer to where you think, to, your, to where you were before than you think. But what you can do and what you should do after this are not the same thing at all. Um, and that's where you're going to see, that's where you're going to see people sort of um, getting hurt as people sort of working with what they can do and going in all guns blazing, you know, sort of um, dipping their toe in the pool, realizing water isn't scary, jumping straight in and forgetting they can't swim. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just not going to work out that well for people. You like, you have to, you have to like sort of earn the right to train hard again. Yeah. I think just to, to talk a wee bit about this is, a lot of people who come into powerlifting come in, you know, through things like sport or uh, like circuits. You know, they, they come to a gym and they try a circuit and then they find out that they want to go down the, the strength route. And the thing that they forget is like, like it's a lot, it's a lot uh, easier to lose fitness than it is strength. So they, they auto, the auto response there is just to, you know, tie the both of them together. Because if, if you take a period away from the gym, from classes or, you know, from a CrossFit gym or for, from a sport, and you allow yourself to be detrained, it, it, it takes you a lot longer to get back up to speed in terms of endurance than it does with strength. So that's a thing with it. The, that's, that, that's sort of a, a thing that have sort of identified where, where, where people's fears lie. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, um, yeah, it is just working within the confines of that because um, like your fitness is one of the biggest things that protects you and allows you to train hard. Um, so working and being patient with that is going to be a big thing because um, while chasing strength is the goal, it's not necessarily how you get there. Um, just training heavy all the time isn't how you get there. That's why not every session that we do is hitting a one rep max um, because if just lifting as hard as we could all the time um, was what would be most productive, um, that's what we do, but it isn't. So yeah, just working on building that fitness and building that ability to train again um, when you get back is going to be one of the most important things. And starting on the side of too little, erring on the side of caution will probably be more useful for people than erring on the side of too much and having to take some steps back afterwards. Like, um, a phrase that's become very popular in powerlifting recently is building momentum. Um, and it's something that will be very important on the other side of this, because for a lot of people, you're essentially starting from a dead start again. Yeah. Um, you know, so building accordingly and building that's even building that momentum from there is going to be important. Like you're, you're, we're going to be lucky that for people who haven't been able to do a whole lot of powerlifting, you're going to be starting from a really high point in terms of, your potential for strength gain because even if you lose a lot of strength the rate at which you will come back um will be very fast like i was sort of injured or out of full training for over a year i think it was about a year and a half um once i sort of cleared my injuries and was able to get a good prep under me um it was only about two or three months before i was hitting pbs again um so even if this does carry on for way way longer than we think it will it will strength will come around really fast on the other side of this as long as you give yourself time to do it 
and you let yourself um, sort of build. I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's brilliant, Steve. And, and like, if, if we think of how like an injury happens, it's going to be a spike in training load. Okay. So if training load is, is, is level across the way, an injury more than likely is never going to happen. Okay. Bar, bar a freak accident. But if we go from, if we go from doing nothing for five weeks to doing five sessions a week, um, that's going to cause a massive spike in training load and our tendons, our ligaments, um, muscle bellies in general aren't going to be able to tolerate that and that's where we're going to we're going to pick up an injury and I said as Steve said instead of taking a step forward you've now taken two steps back and that's to be really really mindful of that when we get back into this whenever it may be that from then on we want it to be positive and we want it to be moving forward if it's moving forward at milli steps it's better than moving back at a foot at a time okay i think that's that's just just to kind of sum up um returning to training unless you want to add in anything on that guys anything you want to put in steve or sean um if you're looking at powerlifting so going forward it's even off the back of this and if, if you are a competitive powerlifter within ireland um don't be rushing yourself. If, if they announce that there's going to be a meet in like 12, 16 weeks, don't, don't rush yourself to get to that meet. Like, like wait, get a bit of training, training block behind you. Um, there's going to be other competitions. And even if you do miss the cutoff for, let's say, next year's nationals, like it's, it, don't worry about it. Longevity is the main goal here. Um, and just let, keep it safe and, you know, enjoy getting back to training yeah definitely yeah um and yeah just one one small thing that probably uh, in my head it makes a lot more sense than it does when i say it out loud it, like um but a really important thing right now is for people to not quit i think if people realize that all they did if all they do over the next while is not quit because they get fed up um you're going to put yourself in a position where you have potential to make progress again in the future even if you can't see it right now and you think there's no hope of making progress at all because you don't have access to a bar for the next three weeks and everything is ruined forever, if all you do is just don't quit over the period of time between now and it takes you to get back into the gym, if you go back to the gym when this is all over, you put yourself in a position where you can potentially make progress and do what you love again. So that's a massive thing. It's just not throwing in the towel right now, even though it can seem frustrating at times. That sums it up really well, Steve. That's it in a nutshell, I think. It's just trying to take as much positive from right now as we can and that's really good and as you said if we can come out the backside of this be ready to train and go do you know what i got i got two sessions a week done for three weeks that's that's a major plus you get three se- sessions even better you get four you know you're you're you're, you're, you're elected okay but it's it's about getting getting the small wins because god knows right now is a difficult enough time for a lot of people okay for everyone so Getting any sort of win, um, whether that be physically through training or mentally through training, is, is brilliant for people. And I think that's worked. It's worked um, rewarding people and giving people a pat on the back. And maybe not to beat yourself up too much if, if you're not in the mindset to do it as well. Okay. And um, we're in a very strange situation that's never happened before. Um, just for anyone on the call there, lads, if you have any questions, right, if you want to pop them into the chat, um, if you don't, that's fine. Um, I just want to thank the two lads. I just realized about halfway through that I never actually introduced the two lads, really. <laughs> I never asked them uh, <laughs> a bit on their background, but 
we're, I'm probably chatting to two of Ireland's best powerlifting coaches. Um, two of the lads are, have been regular coaches in the Irish powerlifting setup for the last number of years. And uh, I was delighted for the get them on for our first uh, podcast, Zoom, whatever you want to call it. So first of all, thank you to the lads. And on our next podcast, I would promise to, I would promise to introduce you. <laughs> um, <laughs> just just one question for Sean before he goes. Um, Sean, in case anyone hasn't listened, was on King of the Lifts last week. Uh, last week, Sean was it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, me me or six back Lapidat? Who presents better? I like a Limerick man. You know, like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all, all we're all we're missing is a boron and a flute. Um, <laughs> it can be arranged with a week's notice. Um, yeah, a staple in any Limerick man. Um, <laughs> I'll be no, back in two seconds. Just have to run. I'll be back in one second there. No problem, Steve. Um, okay, we got one question, and we're gonna. So Orlat was training four days a week and really missed the gym, but not the hours sitting in traffic and rushing. Thinking of doing three days a week when I go back for the summer at least. If I have a program designed for that, do you think it's possible to get the same strength gains on a three-day program as a four-day one? Okay. Um, so Orlat, to answer your question, I think going back three days is a really sensible option. Okay. Um, so like we were talking about um, earlier, there is going to be that, that phase where we have regressed a small bit. So going back to a to a three-day program sounds really good. We don't want to we don't want any of those big spikes happening. Um do I think it's possible to get the same strength gains on a three-day program as a four-day one? Um in the long term of long long-term approach, probably a four-day you would probably get more frequency to the competition movements. So it would probably be more beneficial that way. But right now I would I would be more along the lines of that three-day program is going to do you real well. Um, as Steve said, if, 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 if you've taken maybe five, six weeks without training, about half of that on that, that the length of time on your three-day program and slowly work your way back to the four-day approach. I think that's a real good. Um, and he want to add, add, in, add in on that, Sean? Yeah, like, it, it just off the back of what they were saying, I mean, it depends on your goal, right? What what is your goal, and you know what what is how long do you want to be doing the three day program for? You know, is it is it something that's going to be temporary? Is it you know going to run, you know, like less than twelve weeks, or is it something that you want to incorporate longer term? And if it's longer term, then what you have to do is prioritize, you know, certain movements in the training block. So obviously, the way I would look at it is you know, have competition work in there somewhere, something that's going to build the weakness and something that's going to build the muscle. And then you can build sort of a, a program around that. And if it's three days for now, then that's fine. But if you, over time, as Dar was saying, if you want to, you probably want to look at increasing that to increase the frequency. Okay. Um, so question, any else then we got? Any thoughts on blood flow restriction? I wouldn't be a specialist on it. Steve or Sean, have you any thoughts on blood? I'll be honest, I just don't know. I haven't done enough um, research on it. And I don't want to give you information that might be, mightn't be 100%. Um, Steve or Sean, have you ever have you much experience with blood flow restriction training? I, yeah. I haven't really done too much blood flow restriction, but 
Um, I know that Chris Duffin's a massive advocate of it, and you know he's he's uh, he likes to sort of use it so that you you restrict the blood and so you can get using the quad. So let's say in a squat, he restricts it so he can so his main quad muscles are are working a lot more, you know, than if he wasn't if he wasn't like wrapping the band around his his hips, um, he would probably not get to use the, the the full belly of the quad as much. What what do you think, Steve? Um, yeah, it's actually I'm I'm glad this brought up because it was something I meant to bring up earlier and completely forgot about. Um, blood flow restriction training right now is going to be really useful for a lot of people. Um, as long as um, the one thing would be learning to do it safely, um, because essentially with blood flow restriction, what you're doing is you're tying the entry to a limb. Um, you tie the entry to a limb um, with like a tourniquet, or I've seen some people using like um, wrist wraps or knee wraps um, to tie them. Um, because essentially what you're doing is um, like cooling blood in, um, your, in your limb muscles um, and training them. And for people right now, it has a huge hypertrophy benefit um, in anything it's been studied in on untrained individuals um, just walking with blood flow restriction to, your, to their legs showed big increases in quad muscle. So it definitely does have a benefit right now, particularly people with limited equipment. For a lot of my people, I've been using blood flow restriction training or building them to a place where I can use blood flow restriction training. Um, so as the weeks have went on, basically in the program we structured, and it's been one of the things we're implementing just, in ter- just because it's going to give people a lot of bang for buck in terms of training. Um, with blood flow restriction, most of the time you're looking for really high reps. Um, most of the original protocols were done, were done with a really specific set and rep range. So it was done where you do one set to like a 30 rep max. Um, so you do a 30 rep max, you take 10 second break, then you do a set of 15, 10 second break, set of 15, um, three times. And that's the protocol that people used for training it. Um, and it can be used really well. Like if you were to put it into a pro to a program, um, I'd probably do it at the end of a session um, as almost an exercise to finish it out because you're not going to be able to do anything after you do it um, to any major intent. But it does definitely have, um, it does definitely carry a lot of weight right now with um, equipment restrictions. So um, it's probably something to look into. As Sean was saying, like Chris Duffin is probably the guy to look up when it comes to it um, because he has a lot of information out on it. on how to implement it, you know, but um, yeah, it is definitely something that could be useful. Okay, guys, that is, that's brilliant. And um, there's no more questions, there's more, more thanks. And you should definitely do this again. Well, I'm honest, or I'm surprised we got through session one. I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that, but yeah, we'll definitely want to try and make this a bit more regular. Um, guys, the two lads, thank you very, very much. And for everyone that tuned in and for the lovely words, thank you all very much. Um, hopefully we will we'll be chatting to you all again soon. In the meantime, stay safe and take care. Thank you, Mark. Pleasure, guys.